For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. This is Lisa Colon-Delay, your host, and this is Spark My Muse. You're listening to Soul School Lesson 295, Wild Beasts and Dragon's Wine. I've been delving into the teachings of Evagrius Ponticus, and one of the books I got recently is called Dragon's Wine and Angel's Bread. And those are the two things that Evagrius speaks about. He calls anger dragon's wine, and he calls meekness angel's bread. He sees those two things as the opposite of each other, vice and virtue. A lot of things I speak about on Spark My Muse are about the inner world. The virtues that we have in our inner world are, of course, expressed in our outer actions. But sometimes these things don't come to be outer actions. They stay in our minds. We might have dragon's wine that just stays as thoughts. That is to say, we might not do anything out of our anger, but our anger might boil and bubble within us, causing us a lot of consternation or feelings of bitterness or resentment or whatever else, and it might trouble us. Evagrius spent a lot of time thinking about the inner world and writing about it and being tormented over it too. And remember, he's an ancient teacher. He lived from 343 to 399, in the common era, extremely early on in the Christian era. And yet he finds a lot of time in solitude and silence out in the desert area to look within and discover what's in there and to be deeply in prayer in order to find peace and solace and freedom from what he calls the eight afflicting thoughts or these eight demons. What I want to do is read from a few pages in chapter 5 called The Consequences. It's also interesting to note that he calls anger the boiling of irascibility. Of course, he was, he was using Greek as he wrote. Irascibility in English really is kind of a word we're not quite that familiar with anymore. But you can imagine it as anger, but it's sort of a quick-tempered, easily angered, irritable, annoyed anger that has a short fuse. So when he calls anger a boiling of irascibility, it's kind of an interesting word picture for us to think of wrath or anger as this boiling, churning irascibility within us that sometimes spews out to others as we live our lives. So I'll read this to you, and I hope that you might get some insights on it. A lot of times we don't like angry people. We don't like interacting with them. We don't like how they spew onto the world. And usually that's because of our own issues with anger. Evagrius says the opposite of anger is meekness. That's a really interesting perspective. Instead of saying that it's calmness, he actually says that it's meekness, which is a humbleness of heart. I'll get into it a little bit later, but meekness really involves 
no ego at stake, no attachments to things that would make you feel like you've lost your rights or lost your, you've lost your stake. So you don't have a lot of things on the line. Where anger, you can be easily offended and feel easily fearful or threatened if you have a variety of insecurities about yourself or about your place in the world. And your anger can get to a boiling irascibility. So let's begin on page 51 to 55 of this little book. Gabriel Bunge is the author, and this book is called Dragon's Wine and Angel's Bread, The Teaching of Evagrius Ponticus on Anger and Meekness. And he uses a lot of original texts for his research and quotes from them. This is a book that I had never heard of until I started researching Evagrius Ponticus. And his wise teachings are, are so incredible how they speak to us today, almost as if they've gone through a wormhole in time and speak to us right to our times, even though there is so much contextually that's extremely different about our two times. I think he speaks to the inner life we have that really doesn't change all that much in humans. Chapter 5, The Consequences. Hardly anyone will doubt that anger, wrath, and resentment have consequences not only for interpersonal relationships, but also for our neighbor. Yet few are aware that they cause the greatest damage themselves as a result of these passions. In the book, The Life of Evagrius, it says, Wrath, robbery of prudence, collapse of the inner condition, confusion of nature, wild appearance, smelting furnace of the heart, flame bursting forth, law of irascibility, grudge over insults, mother of wild beasts, silent struggle, hindrance to prayer. That's how Evagrius saw wrath. All those things, mother of wild beasts, silent struggle, hindrance to prayer. Maybe some of us can relate to some of that. I know that I can. So Evagrius defines wrath as the boiling of irascibility. The result is confusion or troubling of the intellect a condition diametrically opposed to meekness. Evagrius defines meekness as imperturbability to the irascible powers. So nonplussed, you can't be perturbed. You will not be goaded into bursting out in anger. Yet this imperturbability, especially when everything assaults a person, is an indispensable prerequisite for prayer, according to Evagrius. Again, this makes it understandable why demons do their utmost to disturb such steadfastness. On the psychological level, this inward agitation results in a symptom Evagrius mentions quite often called frightful nightmares. He says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, which is a quote from one of Paul's letters, lest the demons approach you unexpectedly sometime during the night and frighten the soul and thus make the intellect fearful of the fight on the next day. For the frightful apparitions have the habit of arising from the agitation of anger and nothing turns the intellect more into a deserter than an irritated irascibility. Maybe in some of these words you can understand how educated Evagrius was. He was very high up in a cleric status before he left everything for the desert. And so many people would come to him for wise counsel and advice, seem to really get the inner world and those struggles. The author goes on here to say, 
the things that happen to us in sleep are for Evagrius the psychologist, so to speak, naturally of greatest significance. In contrast with his time, he was interested in dreams, not as harbingers of future events, but as revealers of our present spiritual condition. Evagrius knows that our dream images have several causes. Some spring from the rational part of the soul, as he would say, when the memory is stimulated, and others from the irascible part, others again from the desiring part. In order to see more clearly into this, Evagrius devotes several chapters of his Practicos, which is one of his most famous writings, to those things which, quote, occur in sleep. Characteristic of an aroused irascibility are fear-inducing nightmares. He says it like this. Then there comes a time when wrath persists longer, is transformed into indignation, and stirs up alarming experiences by night. This is succeeded by a general debility of the body, malnutrition with its attendant pallor, and the illusion of being attacked by poisonous wild beasts. These four last-mentioned consequences, following upon indignation, may be found to accompany many other thoughts. So here Evagrius reports similar things, arising both from grief and pride, often returning to this theme, which apparently was very important to him. His detailed descriptions are evidence of his own experience and of the experience of other anchorites close to him. And anchorites were those who lived out in a place like the desert or barren places, and they would stay out there their whole lives, interacting with people infrequently. Evagrius, in his writings, frequently related phenomenon he had seen with his own eyes, either personally that he experienced or that was witnessed by him. From Palladius, another hermit of the time, we know that he was regularly visited by many who sought advice. Upon reading the different descriptions of these nightmares in context, well-defined common traits become apparent. The texts frequently refer to wild, often venomous animals, repeatedly mentioned in the fourth chapter of Antarcticos on grief. It remains to modern psychologists to research this in greater detail. It reads, Employ for this combat phantasms. The demons stimulate the irascible appetite and constrain us to walk along precipitous paths, where they have us encounter armed men, poisonous snakes, and man-eating beasts. We are filled with terror before such sights, and fleeing we are pursued by the beasts and armed men. Other texts mention that anchorites at night during sleep fight against winged snakes and are surrounded by rapacious beasts encircled by serpents and cast down from high mountains. Those are some nightmares. Again and again we are assured that, quote, it is above all those who are wrathful and angry among the brothers, the monks, who such frightening visions befall. So among those who are in the desert places, like the men and women out in the desert at this time, the ones who suffer the most from boiling irascibility or anger or wrath, they have the worst nightmares. He writes, The angry man beholds confusing dreams, and the wrathful man imagines the assault of wild beasts. As I pull back to think about this a little bit, it makes a lot of sense. As you're holding a lot of anger or resentment or bitterness or confusion inside, as you fall asleep, these things don't change. Your brain has a chance to mull them over and add story to them. It won't get less confusing. It'll probably get more confusing. 
And so you might feel attacked because in a sense you are attacking yourself or you are experiencing the world as threatening. Now reading on page 54, Gabriel Bunge writes, in his readings of Agrius speaks almost without exception to those in the desert, and here again predominantly anchorites, those like himself who lived a purely contemplative life in great solitude. In this context, interpersonal contacts are not at all excluded, but relatively seldom. For this reason, they are not in the least regarded lightly, but rather hold great meaning for the anchorite because they are lived out and experienced more consciously and intensively. Thus, special conditions had to be fulfilled for withdrawal, not only from the world, but also from the monastic community itself. Whoever did not keep the corresponding rules but acted out of self-will would destroy the fruits of their effort, since their unresolved problems, namely those developing from living in community, would unfailingly beset them in solitude also, and wreaking revenge through the nightly terrors that are mentioned here. In short, whoever did not get along well with others in community would not also get along well with themselves in isolation. Thus, one can proverbially say, better being the thousandth one in a monastery with love than alone with hatred in inaccessible caves. Now, by chance, does Evagrius make the, quote, monks who live in small communities and perhaps are looking for the supposed silence of the cell in the desert, take note of this warning. Withdraw in love purifies the heart, but withdraw with hate bewilders it. It is no accident that the first aphorism is a quotation from a writing by Pacomius, who himself began as an anchorite and went on to become the father of a community of monks numbering in the thousands. Evagrius does not cite him on account of himself being critical of that life. Rather, for him, it is a matter of protecting this form of life from abuse. The following definition gives us a first hint as to wherein the positive meaning of this withdrawal to the wilderness lies for him. Quote, an anchorite is one who lives out a devout life, an upright life, in a world that exists in his mind. As the Apostle Paul says, all Christians should, quote, live sober, upright, and godly lives in the world. But in order to do so, they must first, quote, renounce irreligion and worldly passions. With material things, they awaken in us when our soul is not one with itself. By contrast, the anchorite is a person who not only lives uprightly and piously in the outer world, but also in its spiritual image, that inner cosmos that emerges in our spirit from the various mental images that material reality leaves behind in the form of copies or impressions. External withdrawal or detachment from the worldly occupations is ultimately only a remedy aimed at acquiring this internal detachment. Evagrius writes, to separate the body from the soul is a privilege only of the one creator who has joined them together, but to separate the soul from the body lies well in the power of the one who pursues virtue. For our Father gave to the meditation of death and to the flight from the body a special name, withdrawal. To separate the soul from the body means nothing other than to free the body from the tyranny of the passions so as to let virtue live. But the passions of the soul follow us up until physical death. 
Under such conditions, premature withdrawal is not without harm, particularly if one has neglected to come to terms with one's fellow human beings. Interpersonal relationships are for demons their main field of attack for those living in community. He writes, let no anchorite embrace the solitary life under the influence of anger, pride, or sadness, nor let them flee from the brothers and sisters while being troubled by these thoughts. For to depart into the desert in this condition would mean running around on the demon's malicious cunning. From the passions mentioned, there especially arise states of distraction of the heart, which then moves from one thought to another, and from this one to a fourth one, and so on, step by step, sinks into the abyss of oblivion. I'll stop there. What I think is really important to realize is that going out into solitude to be by yourself is not a remedy for pride or anger or confusion in our inner life and in our thoughts and in our mind. It is not a remedy for that, and that follows you. And if you are very confused and you're having a lot of trouble internally, when you go off by yourself, you can have frightful nights, as Evagrius would call it, nightmares. And you can feel attacked and you can feel bewildered. I think that's really important. Wherever you go, there you are. So no matter what condition you're in, you take that condition with you to another place. There is no escape from yourself, even though your setting might change. And so we always want to work on our inner lives, moving closer to peace, moving from dragon's wine and wild beasts towards angel's bread and meekness, because in that way we will have harmony with ourselves and with others, peace with God, which is to say also peace with ourselves. As more insights come from this wise teacher of Agrius, I'll be trying to share them here, and also I'm hoping to be sharing them in an upcoming book. You can stay tuned for that. And of course, go to sparkmymuse.com for the link to the companion piece for this episode. There's many more episodes there you can choose from, find things that might interest you. Thank you so much for supporting my work by sharing it or by donating what you can when you can. And until we meet again, I wish you blessing and peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.